0: It is so good to be here, right? It is so good to be here in Haste Shirka. to have some of you sitting in this room uh, here at, here at Haste Shirka. I mean, we moved to Shirka at in the middle of the pandemic. Had a couple of services, that was it. Uh, and then we were, were online, but it's so good to be here again in this space, to be able to see your faces uh, without the masks for a little while Yeah, it's also good to to speak to those of you who are getting this through the streaming and to those who will check it on on YouTube and Instagram and on the podcast later. So uh, to those of you who aren't joining live and are jumping in right now, welcome to OIC and to this OIC Sunday video reflection. If I got my numbers right, this is our 60th Sunday reflection video. Uh, so number 60, just Sunday video reflections. Add some other videos that we put out there on, for instance, uh, Easter week or uh, Christmas week. And this is actually our video number 78 on our YouTube channels. Right? That's a lot of videos and a long road since the pandemic started and we posted our first ever video and started our YouTube channel on the 15th of March of 2020. So before I go on, I just want to give a huge thanks to L'Arche, uh, who has done a whole lot of work filming and editing most of these videos. Uh, I think our Friday OIC studio nights, as we call them, are probably one of the few things that we will actually miss from the pandemic. Uh, and I want to also give a big thanks to André who joined us recently just in the nick of time to make streaming not only possible but smooth and just make it happen. Uh, this would have been a very different deal if you had to cope with me filming myself on my camera with the smoky effect that I involuntarily always have because it's just full of humidity in it. So thanks to you guys but alas this is our last, this is our last video Uh, our last regular video so this is a lot for you who are uh, getting into this in that way things are slowly opening up here in oslo and we're not we're now allowed actually to welcome more of you to be uh, physically present at our live service we can have 50 people in this church room right now and in a pinch if we're more people we can open that wall and have a bit more Uh, we could we could have more but we are limited by the space right we still need to keep one meter distance uh, between us. But things are still slowly opening up. Uh, and with that, we'll take a step back from recording videos, right? There's only so far we can go with our resources. Uh, we won't be gone. As I said, our podcast is here to stay, and we'll be posting our Sunday Reflections on Monday on that particular media with just audio. Uh, but yeah, next week, you can still join us live by by streaming because we're going to have the blessing of of Darius Kulasekaram if I saw this, said his name right, I'm not sure, uh, and of course you can catch the podcast on Monday, but then from then on you can join us either here, live at the service, or listen to us on the go on your earbuds. But today, today we're here, live, right, with you, streaming and recording and talking about the Psalms, talking about the Psalms. Uh, The Psalms, there are these songs, prayers, chants that are inviting us from the middle of our Bibles, inviting us to uh, listen to them, inviting us to meditate on them, and inviting us to utter them, to speak them, right? To asking for space in our lips, uh, to utter them in prayer, in song, and sometimes in sort of an uneasy muttering Because the Psalms are not always uh, well-behaved. They bring a wide range of emotions, of moods, of walks of life, and of expressions of faith. And sometimes they seem sort of an odd fit to the particular practices, expressions, and sensibilities that we are used to. Depending on your particular story and background, the psalm that I want to share with you today might feel quite okay. Or it might make you cringe a bit. But before you you do any of that and react to it, I want to invite you to uh, listen to it. And in fact, I'm going to ask you to not put it on the screen. Uh, and ask you to not read it right now. You can read it later. It's Psalm 32. If you really don't manage to help yourself, you can always read it in your phone or something. But I want to invite you to just listen to it as a piece of oral, poetical tradition that it actually is. Uh, This is how it was engaged with throughout history, right? And when we read, we engage all our analytical things that we're taught to do at school and all over the place. So just listen to it as a poetical, uh, oral tradition piece as it is. I just need to get this up a bit. That's good. So this is Psalm 32. There we go. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and brittle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, seeing all you who are upright in heart. Confession. Confession. This is a psalm that speaks about and invites us into confession. And I would guess that many of us have sort of a weird, kind of uncomfortable relationship to the idea and especially to the practice of confession. We are very aware that it is an essential part, an essential brick in the foundation of our Christian faith. We are very aware that it has been a part of the exercise and expression of the Christian faith from the very beginning But we are also aware, sometimes more consciously, sometimes less, that it is a very weird, a very odd notion to what we might call Western global culture, for lack of a better term. Uh, The high charge of individualism, self-definition, and self-serving paradigms that permeates this contemporary Western world that we live in doesn't easily share a room with the idea of confession. Confession seems like something that belongs to the courtroom. Something one does when hard pressed or when caught on the act or proven to be guilty. Something maybe one signs under duress. The idea of of one evaluating oneself, recognizing fissures, brokenness, and naming some of these things sins, which is another highly unpopular word and concept, and and recognizing some of them as even seeds of sin. (laughs) And then freely confessing, that is a rather odd notion. And it feels often like a reminiscence of a past, a past of multiple forms of oppression, that we would like to think that we left behind us. Uh, many of which we do want to leave behind us and want to fight against when they're stubbornly sticking around. But what this does is that unless we've done something remarkably stupid in the recent past, we may find ourselves struggling to think on what we should say during a moment of confession in a Sunday service. like. We've had earlier today for instance maybe even trying to sort of dig out some sort of sin so that we have something to say because we've been taught that we certainly have sinned so there must be something there that i should be saying right now in this moment of confession and in addition to that estrangement caused by our surrounding culture we also find ourselves caught often in different religious misunderstandings of Christian confession, and some of which have become rather ingrained in our different expressions and traditions of faith. In other words, I think we often get confession wrong. And I don't mean that we do it wrong. It would be a mistake to understand it. I don't mean that we do it wrong in the sense that we say the wrong words or that we forget to say something that we should have said or, or something like that. What I mean is we get the place of confession in our Christian lives mistaken. And I want to point out two common misunderstandings, two common ways in which uh, we often get this wrong. One common misunderstanding is that we think that we need to confess because God is after us to catch us, right? We need to confess because God uh, is after us to catch us, so we confess to get ourselves off the hook, right? We confess to get, we, we read verse four, for instance, for day and night your hand was heavy on me, and we read that out of context, and then we get that sort of notion, that we're under pressure. That's one common misunderstanding, and I'll come back to this later and tell you why I don't think this applies. Another common misunderstanding is to think of confession as performing towards holiness. Performing towards holiness. I need to confess and confess until I'm holy enough. And then we treat our religious life, uh, our spiritual life, not to speak of the life of others around us as a sort of a lawn from which we must remove all weeds, mercilessly, meticulously, until it surpasses the standard of British royalty and is fit for heaven, right? The psalm actually warns us against this religious pitfall, but I'll, I'll get to that as well. Before I explain more about why I believe these are misunderstandings, however, I, and, and how this psalm is actually presenting as something else, I want to share with you what I consider a much healthier and more biblically rooted approach to confession and, and what is the key to understanding this psalm in all its prophetical depth in that, in that context. And this is really the conclusion of all I'm, I'm saying here tonight. I'm giving it up front. <laughs> and this is it. We, mu- we would do much better... We would be much better off if we approached confession as a part of how we cultivate our relationship with the graceful, loving God. Okay, We would be much better off if we approached confession as a part of how we cultivate our relationship with the graceful, loving God. And the hermeneutical key, that is the lens through which we understand this, for my understanding of this psalm is, surprise, surprise, Christ. <laughs> it's Jesus, right? Yeah, you, all know, you all knew the answer already. Uh, it's, uh, but it's not a, a cheap shot. It's obviously, it's, it's an obvious answer, I guess, coming from a Christian pastor. But <laughs> as we've been saying, as we talk about the psalms here in OIC, approaching the psalms in the presence of Christ is truly a profound exercise. Because the Psalms, they they have this unique place in the scriptures that they are both part of God's revelation to humanity, as we understand uh, scriptures as part of God's revelation, and so we understand them as word from God, right? Word from God, but they are also addressed to God. There are songs and there are psalms and there are prayers and they are addressed to God. You find this in bits and pieces elsewhere in the Bible, but the Psalms is basically this. Right? They are addressed to God, and so they are also word from us to God. And Jesus Christ uniquely speaks as God to us, God incarnate, but also speaks from the depth and the breadth of human experience and knows it in his own body and being, and joins us all in himself in the multiple experiences within the unity of his holy body. So looking at the Psalms in that is is truly rich. But what is really interesting in the case of Psalm 32 is that the gospel writer Matthew actually has given us a particularly strong case for interpreting this psalm Under the light of Christ. When Matthew tells us of Jesus preaching a long sermon to the disciples and to the crowd on a mountainside, Matthew Matthew presents us with a very similar structure to the structure of Psalm 32. Now, the first and most striking similarity between Psalm 32 and the Sermon on the Mount, as that sermon that Matthew tells us came to be known, is the way they both start off. And you'll know that, of course, if you have, uh, if you know the the Sermon on the Mount, and you've just heard his psalm. The psalm starts, Blessed is the one whose transgression are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then we go to Matthew 5. are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount by declaring the blessedness of those who live in a place of dependence of God. The poor, the hungry, the persecuted. And as Matthew goes on sharing the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and you find this in chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew, he, he shows us as he goes from this, this opening with the bless, blessings, right? With the, then he goes on to show us just how inadequate we are in living up to the standards of the law. And you have a whole section that is basically showing that, just how inadequate we are in making our own way towards holiness and, as that logic goes, saving ourselves from condemnation. So that happens, and then in the middle of the sermon, in the middle of the sermon, he shapes the form of Christian prayer for us, And invites us to call God Father and to ask this Father that he may forgive us our debts. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer is the turning point in the Sermon on the Mount. It is where the focus shifts from our inadequacy to fulfill the law and to be perfect and shifts towards us cultivating a dependent, trustful relationship with the Father. And the sermon goes on saying, fast to cultivate your relationship with your Father. Not to show off, right? Keep your treasures and your heart in heaven in the kingdom of God, not in earthly things. Trust. Don't worry, right? Right? Look at the lilies in the field. Don't judge others, but receive grace and share grace. And then, towards the end, ask, seek, and knock. The Father is ready to open the door. And then finally, when Christ comes again, Jesus is telling about this in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. When Christ comes again, the question will be, do you know me, do you know me? Not what have you done and what have you not done? What have you gotten right and what have you gotten wrong? No, the question is, do you know me, do you know me? The wise person, Jesus says in his closing remarks, Builds the house of their life on his words. And when rain comes down and the streams rise, it will hold. If you still have Psalm 32 in your head, do you hear the echo of Psalm 32? Let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found, the psalm says. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. The Sermon of the Mount is, of course, a much longer passage than Psalm 32, and it deals with many different things, but the sermon and the psalm, they echo each other in theological symmetry. And I would like to believe that Matthew had this psalm in his head when he was presenting the Sermon on the Mount in this specific way, because the gospel writers have this all of this Old Testament rooted in them and the way they put things is just, their genius is at this. They mirror each other in theological symmetry. They are framed by expressions of grace, right? the expression blessed in the beginning of both and the expression of God's unfailing love in the psalm and of Christ as the rock, the unfailing rock in the sermon. And they deal with our inadequacy within that frame of grace. And they highlight in dealing with our inadequacy, they highlight an invitation for us to come to God. They're both saying in a way, don't think that you're too good for this. Don't think that you're not good enough for this. Just come, come and receive and trust, come and live. Psalm 32 is soaked and dripping with grace, grace and more grace. God has always been a God of grace. Christ doesn't introduce something new. He fulfills and he fully expresses something that is as old as the dawn of time. From the very beginning, when we tried, as the story goes and as the telling of the beginnings goes, from the very beginning, right, when we tried to cover ourselves from God, hiding among the leaves of the garden to try and disguise our shame, from that very beginning, God has been wanting and offering and calling us to let him cover us with his grace. So Psalm 32 starts with God's readiness to forgive. With the blessedness of being forgiven, not of being guiltless. The blessing of being forgiven. God is not after the psalmist to catch him on the act. He is there to catch him from the fall. The hand of the Lord heavy on the psalmist is an expression of grace. It is the closeness of God in a reality of sin. It is the non abandonment of God in a reality of sin. So the psalmist alerts us don't try to perform for God and don't try to run from Him. Don't be like the horse or the mule that cannot see past the brittle and bit of the law and try to break loose from it by biting harder. Don't be like that. Be like someone surrounded by unfailing love. In a simple way, when we, when we think that we need to confess because God is after us to catch us, we misunderstand God. We misunderstand God. When we think that we need to confess to perform towards holiness, we deeply misunderstand ourselves. It's a form of pride and self-righteousness, right? Confession becomes a work instead of faith. And that only frustrates us more, and it's circle. When we think we need to confess because God is after us to catch us, we misunderstand God. When we think that we need to confess in order to perform, we misunderstand ourselves. We're much better off taking the invitation from the Psalm and from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount and thinking of confession as part of how we cultivate our relationship with the graceful God. As the exercise of <laughs> walking out of the bushes, saying, This is it, God. This is that us with our sticky faces and hands, from what we've done and what we've become, but also in all the beauty of how you created us. Can we still be together? And the resounding answer to that in Jesus is yes. And so we confess. We come to the Lord's table when we have Holy Communion, a table that is upside down. It is a sacrifice that God sets for us and not us that we set for him. We pray. We pray. Contemplate ourselves in silence in the graceful presence of our God, and we sing. Confession is a gift, an act of freedom, not an act of bondage. And in this psalm, and in Jesus you are invited deep into it. I don't know what that looks like in your life. But I know the invitation stands today. May the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you. And may he give you peace. Go in peace and serve the Lord joyfully.